There are few titles more prestigious in sports than that of the heavyweight champion of the world, usually reserved historically for boxing's champions like all-time greats Muhammad Ali, Mike Tyson, or Rocky Marciano. And while someone like current WBC King Tyson Fury will certainly be brought up in the discussion, Have you got a big tory? Now, the baddest man on the planet typically refers to whoever holds the UFC title. So far, there have been 18 men who can put undisputed UFC heavyweight champion on their resume. And while we're still reflecting on the main event at UFC 285, we thought it would be a good time to take a look back at everyone who was at one point considered the most dangerous man in the world. While skills, overall career arcs, and popularity aren't irrelevant here, we want to strictly look at their time with that distinguished title. So that means how they won the belt and any subsequent defenses. And unless it was unified with the undisputed disputed title. Interim champions don't count. I'm so sorry, Shane Carwin. I'm Tommy from MMA On Point, and these are the UFC heavyweight champions ranked worst to best. Number 18, Josh Barnett. With all due respect, and remember I'm saying this with all due respect, ranking Josh Barnett at the bottom of UFC heavyweight champions might be the easiest call to make. You gotta be kidding me. And it's not due to being a low-quality fighter, and it doesn't speak to the level of competition that he faced. After all, he did finish Randy Couture to win the belt, and at 24 years old, he was the youngest person to win gold in the promotion, a record that stood until a 23-year-old John Jones would win it at light heavyweight. The problem is that the legitimacy of his title win has to be questioned. Just 126 days into his reign, he was stripped due to a positive post-fight steroid test. Looking at how similar situations were handled afterwards, it's amazing to look back and see Barnett's win over Katoris still official in the record books. Today, as it did with Jones back at UFC 214, that win would be overturned to a no contest and the title would be returned to Couture. In fact, it's unlikely that Barnett would have even been able to face Couture at UFC 36, because not even five months earlier at UFC 34, Barnett failed a drug test for his win over Bobby Hoffman. Fortunately, the Pride and Strikeforce Grand Prix finalist learned his lesson and never took a banned substance again. Number 17, Boss Rutten. Boss Rutten is without a doubt one of the most beloved fighters in the history of the sport. Beyond his signature personality, adding flair to everything from Grand Theft Auto games, snipping the vertebrae in a man's TV shows, self-defense instruction videos, and commentary, he is a pioneer of the sport that helped push mixed martial arts forward by cross-training and, you know, mixing the martial arts. And while his legacy is solidified, his shortcomings as a UFC champion are impossible to ignore. His split decision win over Kevin Randleman at UFC 20 for the title has endured the test of time as one of the worst decisions in MMA history. Despite spending the majority of the fight on his back with a battered face and the powerful wrestler on top, holding Randleman in his closed guard and throwing strikes off his back was enough to convince two of three judges. The decision was so controversial, it was used to help create the scoring criteria for the unified rules. Also, Rutten never defended and vacated the belt just 34 days after that night in Birmingham, Alabama. Had Boss been able to stay active, perhaps he could have done enough to create a remarkable title run. Unfortunately, injuries cut his career short and we missed out on some potentially fantastic fights. Number 16, Mark Coleman. Similar to Boss Rutten, Mark Coleman's reputation and impact on the sport far exceed what he accomplished as a UFC heavyweight champion. Widely credited with coining the strategy and phrase ground and pound, Coleman helped secure the place of wrestlers in MMA and played a part in shifting the spotlight away from Brazilian jiu-jitsu. His complete handling of Dan Severn at UFC 12 not only showcased his brute strength and suffocating top game, but also resulted in him becoming
becoming the inaugural heavyweight king. And maybe if we cheat on the criteria just a bit, we can factor in his tournament wins at UFC 10 and 11, but they would be ignoring the fact that Severn entered UFC 12 as something much closer to a traditional promotional champion with his super fight title. Unfortunately for Coleman, there is no successful defense to boost him further up the rankings as Maurice Smith solved the puzzle at UFC 14. Outlasting the champion with superior cardio, he cruised to a win using leg kicks and precise punching to keep Coleman at bay. Number 15, Rico Rodriguez. The name Rico Rodriguez is often forgotten, given the fact his title-winning performance at UFC 39 was just several months removed from Josh Barnett being stripped, and just two events later he was relieved of the belt. In fact, fans that came on board after the boom in popularity sparked by the first season of The Ultimate Fighter might recognize him more for his appearance on the Celebrity Rehab reality show, as opposed to locking horns with some of the best heavyweights in the UFC. In fact, at UFC 39, he at least temporarily stopped Randy Couture from winning another title. He would run into Tim Sylvia at UFC UFC 41, where he would get bludgeoned in a first-round TKO loss. Number 15, Maurice Smith. Former kickboxing champion Maurice Smith defied all expectations upon entering the UFC. Falling victim to submissions five times during his time with Rings and Pancrase, it seemed a foregone conclusion that the elite-level wrestling of Mark Coleman would be too much as he entered the octagon as an underdog. Smith had other plans, though, and took the Hammers' champ status that evening. His victory at UFC 14 is still regarded as one of the biggest upsets in history, and laid the blueprint for strikers to survive among the ground specialists that dominated the sport. And unlike everyone we've discussed so far, Smith actually defended the title. While his win over Tank Abbott at UFC 15 certainly counts for something, it is worth mentioning the circumstances. Smith was originally scheduled to face Dan Severn until injuries sidelined the wrestler, opening the door for Tank to fill in on late notice. The underprepared street fighter, who was never known for anything resembling strategy or conditioning, had nothing to offer Smith, who replicated his game plan against Coleman. Randy Couture would bring an infinitely better gas tank and earn a decision win over Smith at UFC 15.5. Number 13, Kevin Randleman. Much like his coach, friend, and fellow champion Mark Coleman, Kevin Randleman was a powerhouse with an overwhelming wrestling-based game. Before improbably knocking out Crow Cop and nearly breaking Fedor's neck in pride, Randleman was a promising fighter entering the UFC with an athleticism unseen before in the octagon. It proved very useful against Pete Williams at UFC 23. For much of the 25 minutes, Randleman had little trouble taking down and neutralizing the varied offense of his opponent, leading to a clear-cut decision win and a new title belt for his troubles. However, when he put his belt on the line against Randy Couture at UFC 28, the monster found himself on the wrong side of a clinch takedown and ground strikes in the third, resulting in a TKO loss. But while he has no official title defense to add to his resume, had it not been for some suspect judging against Boss Rutten at UFC 20, Randleman would have entered the Williams fight as defending champion. Champion. We can't penalize Boss for the decision while not rewarding Randleman for it. Therefore, he's ranked higher than a quick glance at his record would suggest. Number 12, Andre Arlovsky. If this were ranking based solely on shelf life, there would be no one on this list that should be mentioned in the same sentence as Andre Arlovsky, making his professional debut in 1999 and still a fixture at UFC events today. The Pitbull has crossed over many generations of the heavyweight division and fought no less than 13 champions of major promotions. However, his own run as UFC champion wasn't nearly as lofty. Although he won inside the distance in all three victories that added a belt to his trophy case, the truth is his level of competition was considerably lower than what the world of heavyweight MMA had to offer elsewhere. While earlier fighters were able to float in and out of the UFC to some extent, by the time Arlovsky wore gold, exclusive contracts were standardized and the majority of the world's best talent found a home in pride. While Fedor was fighting Big Nog and Krokop, Arlovsky made defenses against Paul Buentello 
and Justin Eilers. He's also the first person on this list to be recognized for holding an interim belt since he was promoted to undisputed status following Frank Mir's prolonged recovery from a motorcycle accident. Number 11. Tim Sylvia Despite being a two-time champion with a pair of legitimate defenses, public perception has been particularly unfair to Tim Sylvia. This is due in part to the previous mark against former rival Andre Arlovsky. His title reign took place with most of the best heavyweights in the world fighting under other banners. And while we don't want to count what happened after he was no longer champion, it's hard to ignore that in head-to-head -head competition against two of the best heavyweights in the world that were unavailable to him during his run, he lost badly. The other part of this perception is likely due to his image, far from looking like what the average person would expect a world-class fighter to look like. The insistence of wearing his championship belt everywhere he went, supposedly being mercilessly bullied by his team at Militage Fighting Systems, and the rumored love triangle involving Arlovsky's ex-girlfriend. His first stint as champion was cut short after he tested positive for a banned substance following his successful defense against Gan McGee at UFC 44. Over the next year and a half, he'd fall short in getting back to the belt twice until he was able to finish Arlovsky at UFC 59. Number 10. Frank Mir While Frank Mir never defended his championship, it's hard to rank him outside of the top 10. His submission-focused offense, along with his insistence on giving the judges time off, sent shockwaves through the UFC heavyweight roster. When he snapped Tim Sylvia's arm at UFC 48, he created an enduring highlight reel moment while elevating himself to champion. Unfortunately, just three months later, a motorcycle accident left him with a broken femur and a completely torn knee. I remember one big thunk on the back of my head, which I guess was the curb of the sidewalk hitting my helmet. And then I kind of did a little bit of a cartwheel and uh, landed on the grass. I had gone about 80 feet, they said. The long recovery process not only deprived the world of an anticipated matchup against Andrei Arlovsky, but also led to him being stripped for inactivity. Considering the run he went on once his body was back in top form, it's not a stretch of the imagination to think that he could have had a much longer reign and higher status among the former champions. But where he lacks in title defenses, he did manage to become the first man to finish Big Nog for an interim title at UFC 92. Number 9. John Jones. What John Jones did at UFC 285 was nothing short of amazing. His fast dismantling of former interim champion Cyril Gaon is by far one of the most impressive heavyweight title performances of all time. And this was after a three-year layoff and not quite passing the eye test for a lot of observers on the scale, but in the interests of shielding ourselves from recency bias, it makes sense to rank him at number nine so far. And that's for one very simple reason. Although Jones is an easy call for GOAT status from the trail of bodies he left at light heavyweight, we just don't have enough of a sample size to fairly judge him in the bigger division. With his sights set on Stipe Miocic and a pivotal match between Sergei Pavlovich and Curtis Blades scheduled in the coming weeks, Bones has an opportunity to completely rewrite the list. Don't be surprised if the year concludes with him firmly establishing himself as the best heavyweight of all time. Number 8. Fabricio Verdum Fabricio Verdum is another example of someone whose time as UFC champion is only part of their overall legacy. The submission specialist turned effective Muay Thai striker can point to his trio of submission wins over fellow heavyweight greats Fedor, Big Nog, and Cain Velasquez when submitting his name in the GOAT raffle contest. Less than a month before Verdum was set to challenge Velasquez for the heavyweight crown, a knee injury shelved the NCAA All-American, setting the stage for an interim title fight with Mark Hunt. Despite the clear disparity, 
and grappling abilities between the two, Verdum unleashed a fight-ending flying knee midway through the second round. When he finally met with Cardio Kane at UFC 188, his preparation for the high altitude of Mexico paid dividends, as he wrapped a guillotine choke around his ironically exhausted opponent for the win. However, the aforementioned blossoming of his striking abilities betrayed him at UFC 198, when he ran chin first into a Stipe Miocic counterpunch and was slapped in front of his countrymen. Number 7. Brock Lesnar When talking about Brock Lesnar, it's important to compartmentalize the conversation. He's perhaps one of the three biggest names the sport has produced. His pre-existing fame in the pro wrestling world meant that a whole set of fans and their wallets came with him. He also remains as one of the most polarizing personalities in the sport, as purists who rejected the ties between MMA and staged combat begrudgingly tuned in hoping to see him lose. But make no mistake about it, despite his over-the-top persona and preferential treatment from the promotion, Lesnar was a very real champion with two defenses, vanquishing several high-profile challengers along the way. Despite his relative inexperience, his freakish size and background as an NCAA champion proved to be too much for the master game planning of Randy Couture at UFC 91. There were still doubts surrounding his abilities when he rematched Frank Mir, who had previously submitted him, at UFC 100. Lesnar left no doubts as he battered the interim champion from pillar to post for his first defense. But the hate turned into respect after Lesnar returned from a year-long battle with diverticulitis to author one of the all-time great comeback victories against another interim champion, Shane Carwin. Lesnar didn't get long to bask in the newfound positivity surrounding his invasion of mixed martial arts, though. Just several months later, Cain Velasquez would completely school the pro wrestler and permanently push him out of championship status. Number 6. Junior Dos Santos Being ranked number 6 on this list is nothing to laugh at, but bad timing prevented Junior Dos Santos from moving up higher in the rankings. Although he was able to best Cain Velasquez on the biggest stage, he would endure untold damage in a pair of horribly lopsided rematches at UFC 155 and UFC 166. JDS did manage one successful defense against Frank Mir at UFC 146, when original opponent Alistair Overeem ate too much horse meat for Insac to license him. Although he was granted a chance to recapture the belt against Stipe Miocic at UFC 211, the former champion didn't take it halfway through the opening round. It's almost certain that JDS could have ruled over the division for an extended period of time had it not been for the presence of his rival. Number 5. Francis Ngannou Until proven otherwise, Francis Ngannou is the best heavyweight in the world right now. Had contract negotiations with the Cameroon native gone better, the UFC marketing machine never would have let you forget that fact. But unfortunately, we just don't have enough of a sample size to rank him much higher than this among all-time heavyweight champions. After being shut down and exposed for his deficiencies by Stipe Miocic at UFC 220, the Predator went back to the drawing board with a new team and exacted revenge at UFC 260. His only defense, a decision win over interim champion Cyril Ghosn at UFC 270, revealed another wrinkle as the knockout artist out-wrestled his former teammate. Depending on what happens next with the Predator after his shocking departure from the UFC, his impact outside the cage has the potential to have a bigger effect on the sport than had he remained as the reigning champion. However, if he comes back to the octagon with even more refinement to his game, Ngannou could easily top this list in the future. Number 4. Randy Couture You might have noticed that Randy Couture's name's been mentioned a few times on the 
this list. That's because Captain America has been crowned UFC heavyweight champion three times, not including his UFC 13 heavyweight tournament win. In addition, he has three defenses and only legitimately lost the title once. After laying the foundation of a career of strategic mastery while dethroning Maurice Smith at UFC Japan, Couture would relinquish the belt due to a contract dispute. Three years later, he would return at UFC 28, where after dropping the first two rounds to Kevin Randleman, Couture would turn the tables and reclaim the title with a third round TKO. He would go on to defend twice against Pedro Hizo at UFC 31 and UFC 34. That chapter would conclude via a second round loss to Josh Barnett, but the baby-faced assassin would be stripped after popping for banned substances. The perpetually undersized Couture would take a nice relaxing break from the heavyweight division, winning the light heavyweight title twice during this vacation, only to return nearly five years later to face Tim Sylvia. Although he was seven inches shorter, 43 pounds lighter, and 11 years older, the natural completely outclassed the champion to begin his third stint as heavyweight champion. He would defend against Gabriel Gonzaga, another much younger man with a significant weight advantage, with ground strikes in the third. Much like Arlovsky, his legacy spans multiple generations of fighters. However, Randy did it at a championship level while defying age and size. Number three, Cain Velasquez. If his body wasn't being held together by duct tape and the prayers of an unrepentant sinner, Cain Velasquez could have gone on to not only be the goaded heavyweight, but likely would have been in the overall discussion. When he defeated Brock Lesnar for the belt at UFC 121, the Arizona State wrestler used superior technique and conditioning to overwhelm the bigger man for the first round finish. While he was swiftly defeated by Junior Dos Santos and lost the title almost a year later in his first defense, Kane would certainly have the last laugh and completely bulldoze JDS twice to complete their trilogy. In between those two fights, he also defended against former Elite XC champion Antonio Bigfoot Silva. But when he faced Fabricio Verdum at UFC 188, refusing to acclimate to the 7,382-foot elevation of Mexico City proved to be his undoing, as Cardio Kane wilted under the relentless pressure of his opponent. And while Velasquez undoubtedly achieved greatness and left his mark, he is one of the biggest what-ifs in MMA history. What if Kane was able to stay healthy and avoid the numerous injuries that kept him inactive for such long stretches? Between him winning the title against Lesnar in 2010 and tapping to Verdum in 2015, Kane only fought JDS and Bigfoot Silva. That leaves huge gaps in his title reign when compared against the names he never faced, but what we did get is some of the finest work at heavyweight we've ever seen. Number 2. Daniel Cormier Just like his teammate and friend at American Kickboxing Academy, the stellar championship accolades of Daniel Cormier do have a big what-if attached to them. What if DC had pursued the heavyweight title sooner, mainly due to his relationship with Cain Velasquez, who at the time had just concluded the JDS trilogy, Cormier decided to halt the momentum he started by winning the Strikeforce Heavyweight Grand Prix and drop to light heavyweight to pursue the belt there. His campaign proved successful, but as his friend spent more and more time away nursing injuries and flirting with pro wrestling, Cormier decided to pick up where he left off in the bigger weight class. In a super fight against Stipe Miocic at UFC 226, DC stunned the world by putting Stipe to bed late in the first round. Several months later at UFC 230, he defended in style, barely cracking a sweat in his second round submission over Derek Lewis. In his second defense, a rematch against Miocic at UFC 241, being lured into a boxing-centered dogfight, which led to him being finished in the fourth. A third fight between them would yield similar results, but DC would at least survive until the final bell. Another fitting question to ask would be what if Cormier began his career sooner? Much like Randy Couture, Cormier was undersized and spent his athletic prime in wrestling. It's hard not to wonder what he would have looked like a few years earlier in the sport, in addition to the fantasy matchmaking against other champions like JDS and Brock Lesnar. Number 
one, Stipe Miocic. There's no way to ignore these statistics. Stipe Miocic is the most successful heavyweight in UFC history. After silencing the Brazilian crowd at UFC 198 with his first round KO of Fabricio Verdum, Miocic wrote his name in the history books by defending his title a record three times in his first foray as champion. He finished both Alistair Overeem and Junior Dos Santos by strikes in the first round, and in a brilliant display of fight IQ, he pitched a shutout against the unstoppable Francis Ngannou at UFC 220. His title loss to Daniel Cormier at UFC 226 was put in the rearview mirror by avenging to recapture the belt and notching up another defense to leave no doubts. Not only do four total title defenses leave him far and away ahead of the rest of the pack, all of those defenses were at the expense of another former or future champion. Of course, his second championship was cut short by Ngannou at UFC 260. It could be argued that Miocic's 25-minute handling of Ngannou helped create the man who was noticeably absent Saturday night. A massive shout-out to Ant Walker for writing this list, Luke Taylor for the edit, and Ben Rosette for the soundtrack. Please go follow them on their socials, that would be greatly appreciated, as would liking and subscribing. Who is your number one heavyweight of all time? Let us know in the comments below. Thanks for watching, I'll see you guys on the next one.